I'm Katie J. And I'm Katie H. Welcome to the Katie's. Good morning and welcome once again to the Katie's podcast. How you doing? How you doing? Happy to have you. Happy that we are (laughs) once again talking and taking up space that we have no business to be. Yes. (laughs) But we are excited to share this episode with you. This is actually our second take on this episode. We had a technical malfunction earlier and so that just means this one's going to be perfect. Yeah. It's honestly better for everybody though because last week was when I had that awful raspy voice. So it's true. We're we're on the path to recovery now and I'm much more bearable to listen to. It's true. It really wasn't that bad but (laughs) no you know. It was painful. (laughs) Yeah, glad you're feeling better. We'll get through it a little easier this time for sure. Uh, But Katie, how you doing? What's new with you? We'll update. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm doing good. Life is like normal busy and normal good. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Nothing extraordinary. That's okay. Normal's good. Yeah. Um, I am in the last month of my job at Kia, which I'm so, I'm like, it's like bittersweet. I'm I'm excited uh, because we're moving on to good things, yeah. but um, bummed because the Lord has just been so faithful in my time there. So, yeah. um, and there are such great people there mm-hmm. who I genuinely am gonna miss with my whole heart. So, and it's funny once you start like telling people you're leaving and like saying little goodbyes, people are like, "You are the backbone," yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I. I didn't know that you liked me. <laughs> it's so this funny how that happens. Everything. Yeah, should Just I kidding. stay forever? I'm revoking my notice. And, <laughs> oh gosh, but so yeah, it's bittersweet. But it's I'm looking forward to. It's a good new on. time though. You're gonna have so many new things in front of you. Oh yeah, for sure. Moving forward, I'm stoked. It's good stuff. What about you, Katie? Yeah, I'm good. I don't know. I've. I feel like I'm settling into the kind of nesting part of all of this a little bit. I'm more than halfway. I'm getting close to my third trimester. And so this for sure last time was when I started to just really like settle into it all. And it becomes very real where you're like registering with the hospital and doing all those things and baby's healthy and great. And I'm just, you know, I get to like decorate a nursery this time. Mm. And there's just fun little things like that to be doing. But then also the reality of like we're we're bringing another soul into our family yeah which is just absolutely blowing our minds and we like adore our son so much and are just like how can we possibly how is there more like yeah. how is there more to to be to be met to be had and you know thinking about how to prepare him for the adjustment and feeling overwhelmed but also just I can't wait to snuggle a little sweet smelling newborn again I just am so excited so lots of good stuff and I'm there's busy events and stuff with work but I'm slowing down because I only have I think nine weeks eight weeks left in my position so kind of bringing that door to a close which I'm realizing is in the beginning of September would have been three years in the same position that I'm in so it's crazy yeah it feels like a good like healthy transition healthy closing of the chapter but it's not closing completely like there's Mm-mm. different ways it's going to be continuing on and just in like a new capacity I feel like I'm being reborn a little mm-hmm. bit too not just with work but in all these areas of my life where things are shifting and changing and growing again and you just stretch and your capacity changes and yeah all that stuff so 
it's all good. Just a lot of processing and like little things yeah. and, you know, like, oh, I need to clean behind the fridge. Like the crazy <laughs> things that you think when you're nesting. And, um, but I'm, I'm having a lot of fun preparing. That's so good. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Yeah. It's all like good life shifts happening right it now. It is. Yeah. Definitely and a lot to like think about. It's true. And it's kind of funny that in total, like our shifts are so connected. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun to be kind of like they're totally different, but we're, yeah. we're shifting together in yeah. all of these things, which is, it's, very it's fun. Yeah. It's super fun. Super fun. Yeah. Some fun things ahead for our young adults ministry. Yeah. Keep, keep an eye out. <laughs> um, anyways, <laughs> we're going to dive into the content of this episode and we are coming to you with another, just straight from the Bible. We're going through we're breaking down a story. Mm-hmm. So as you know, our Samson episode just came out and this is going to be very, very similar mm-hmm. um, kind of in structure. But we are going to be talking all about the book of Esther. It's only 10 chapters long and I've gone through and summarized the whole thing. So we're going to go through it. But I would encourage you, if you've never read the book of Esther, as we always encourage you to do, go and read it. Um, it's a quick read. And it's just a great story. It's a great story. And it is a really quick read. Like I read all of it when preparing for this in one night and it was, you know, easy, but still so beneficial. So definitely would encourage you. This is one of those books we were kind of talking that we hear it like summarized a lot or like bits and pieces of it taken for you know, whatever, like a, a women's Bible study luncheon, like that kind of thing. But there's so much we to talk about it. Ruth and Esther. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there's so much to it that you wouldn't know unless you actually sat down and read the book. Or if you listen to this episode of the podcast. Because, Here we go. You know. Okay. So I'm going to open us up with a little bit of an intro, kind of give you a view of the time period we're kind of in. So... This is set in a post-return from exile Persia. So the the Israelites were exiled to Babylon and they were there for a lot of years and they are kind of being sent back in like these waves of exiles and all of this stuff. But this is set after the first return of the exiles to Jerusalem but this is set in Persia because Babylon had been conquered by Persia. There's like a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. There's still a lot of interconnectedness between the Jews and the Babylonians yes. and all this stuff. So, yeah. And so, and this is kind of set. So this is set between the first exiles return to Jerusalem and also uh, like Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall. So this is not post Nehemiah. This is pre Nehemiah mm-hmm. um, to kind of give you a little bit of a picture of where we're at. But the main characters in the story, Esther and Mordecai, they've never lived in Jerusalem. They are like born into exile. And so Babylon slash Persia is all they know. That's kind of mm-hmm. uh, just a little bit of a a window to be looking through as we're reading this story. Um, this is kind of all they know. This is their home. And another kind of quick note on this Um, that's interesting and something to address is God is actually never mentioned in this book of the Bible by name or, and he's kind of not even really alluded to. There's like a couple moments where it's like, we as Christians can look at it and know that God is orchestrating things throughout the story, but it's never like attributed to God. Yeah. It's, it's literature. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I was reading from this one commentator and he suggested that 
This is to draw the reader into finding God's work throughout it without being explicitly stated or possibly to represent how God seemed absent during the exile, but he was still at work to bring his will into fruition. So kind of a, a creative way of making the reader uh, kind of think about God's perceived absence during this time, uh, but how he was still he was still at work. So that's a theory, you know, that's not gospel truth, but mm-hmm. something definitely to think about. But we are going to jump in, first of all, to be dissecting chapters one and two here. Okay, so this is during the time of King Xerxes. Uh, depending on your translation of the Bible, it might say something different, whether it's the Hebrew name or just his name, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is during his reign and he is throwing basically these like lavish parties to like show off his wealth and they're yeah. having a great time. He's really wealthy, a really like, prosperous king. Yes, like ridiculously wealthy. And he has a wife named Vashti and he basically is like having fun with all of his boys. And then he's like, did you know I have a stunningly beautiful wife and Mm -hmm. she should come out here and show you all her beauty. Mm -hmm. And so he gives her a ring and (laughs) says, hey, why don't you, why don't you come in here and show off your beauty to everybody? And to any ladies here, if your husband had been partying day and night and all of his drunk friends are like, in this like perverted culture are telling you like, Hey, yeah, come down. Let's take a look at you. Like you're going to be hesitant. You're going to be hesitant. Yeah. And so understandably, she's kind of like, I don't, I don't think so. And she refuses, um, which is like, you don't refuse the King, but she did. And he basically was like so offended and absolutely enraged that he like sends her away. And not only does he like send her away, but he's like, well, but now I need a new queen. And so he hosts, or the kingdom hosts, like this beauty pageant situation. Yeah. If you ha- can't already tell, the book of Esther is just like kind of a wild story from start to finish. There's just like a lot of like action kind of packed into this story. Yeah. And there's so many details. Like really, you should go read this for yourself yes. because there's a lot we're going to have to skip over. That's just fascinating. Yes. About this. Absolutely. So this is kind of where Esther enters the scene. And I want to make like a quick note here. And it's interesting, kind of raises the same conversation that the story of Samson raised is there's a lot going on here. That's just like not on par with what God has Mm -hmm. called the Jews to do with their lives. So Mm -hmm. Esther is seemingly willingly entering this (laughs) beauty pageant situation Mm -hmm. to be married to a Persian king, which is not in God's will for his people, you know, for them to be marrying in these foreign cultures. And so that's just like a little side tangent. Something interesting to take note of is God is once again working through the iniquities of his people and their shortcomings and their misinterpretations of his will and all of this stuff. But he is still at work and he's still going to, as we're going to see even in this chapter, he's going to work all things for his good and his glory. So as she kind of enters this contest, she uh, immediately gains favor with the guy who's in charge of all the women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she, right off the bat, we see God's favor working for her here. And he 
begins giving her all of the choice food and resources because the way that this is working is there's kind of like a this preparation period with all of these women before they go before the king to like make them extra beautiful and skinny and like the best <laughs> makeup and hair and all of that stuff so yeah she's gained the favor of the guy who's in charge of all of that and so she's getting like the best food the best treatment so she is looking extra nice so they prepped all of this stuff really fast yeah just another reason to believe that everyone would be more beautiful if they had more money yeah <laughs> don't so true. don't make your standards based on what you see celebrities <laughs> doing because they're all taking medication yeah and paying the best surgeons in the world and <laughs> that all changed. <laughs> literally, literally and like that hasn't changed since yeah. the ancient world but it was like so much of the standards were influenced by the culture and the wealthy and the powerful and it's like there's some things that are beautiful and lasting and never change yeah for real verse 15 says she quote found favor in the eyes of all who saw her so again she's finding favor because of god something something there's like no reason why she should be getting all of these things other than the favor of the lord uh, Esther ultimately wins over the king. Verse 17 says that the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and he crowns her queen. So she's just won the beauty pageant. She mm -hmm. is replacing Vashti now. And immediately following this is kind of when um, the secondary character of this story, Mordecai, is introduced. I don't even want to call him secondary. He's honestly in it more than Esther is, yeah. but... Um, he so Mordecai is Esther's cousin, but is her guardian for all intensive purposes. So yeah. he uh, he's kind of like a father figure to her. Yeah. He's and, the male figure in her life that protects her and is responsible for her. Yes, yeah. you'll kind of see him be in like an advisory role to her throughout mm -hmm. the story. And so this is kind of like the first bit of action with him. And this is, I believe, end of chapter two we're in now. And he discovers, immediately following her, like, coronation to be queen, that a murder plot is against the king from, like, a couple guys that are, like, guarding a gate. And Mordecai tells Esther so that she can inform the king. And this, end up saving, this ends up saving the king's life. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, Winning points here. Yes. And so... And then the men are hung in the gallows. So... Uh, Mordecai has discovered and foiled this assassination plot for the king. And so now he is becoming this kind of central figure in the story. Uh, but I do want to just pause. So we've just recapped chapters one and two. But we are seeing God steadily laying a path for his will to prevail. Yeah. Um, He's putting two... Hebrews in positions of power in the yeah. kingdom of Persia of Babylon it's yeah pretty wild it's huge and it's obviously intentional like nothing happens for no reason mm -hmm. and it's very much like Joseph like it's a similar kind of yeah. thing where there's these kind of extraordinary circumstances and God is you know blessing his people in spite of their <laughs> continual lack of faith yeah. and whatever and using means to protect them that exactly like we talked about with Samson yeah that don't really make a lot of sense sometimes when we look at them but it's all part of a bigger picture yeah yeah absolutely I mean he's using her marriage to a foreign man and mm -hmm. you know an assassination plot and all of these things he's laying some serious groundwork for the things that are going to happen in the coming chapters yeah and so chapter three 
we see another character get introduced, and this is Haman or Haman or whatever. Yeah, say boo, <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> Um, it's so funny because every time I read the story of Esther, I'm thinking of the VeggieTales version yeah. of Esther. <laughs> Honestly, which is a solid one. It's a solid one. So go watch the VeggieTales version of Esther. There's some good theology uh, in VeggieTales. Don't know what to tell you. I think Vashti's like sent away because she wouldn't make the king a sandwich or something <laughs> like that. Like I literally <laughs> think that is. I love VeggieTales. Uh, it's too good because I'm picturing like little the little gourd yeah. as Haman. <laughs> But anyways, um, so the king promotes this guy, and he's a Persian, to, like, right-hand man status to the king. So he's, like, VP. <laughs> and the king and Haman kind of requires that everybody kneel before him. He thinks he's hot stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the beginning of a long, long path for Haman just requiring everybody to, like, bow down before him and do everything he wants. And so... He's requiring this of everybody, but Mordecai refuses, and Haman sets out to lay hands on him. So he's like, what do you mean you're not going to kneel before me? And, like, goes to, like, beat him up. However, he stops short because he finds out he's a Jew, and hurting only Mordecai alone was not going to be enough for Haman. Yeah, go ahead. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. This is another thing we see throughout Old Testament history Mm -hmm. is that there is, actually, world history, let's just say, (laughs) over and over and over again. There's always this like opposition towards like the entire nationality of the Jews yeah. um, where like extraordinary irrational hatred is like stirred up by leaders and people groups and all these things towards, towards the Jews. Like it happens over and over yeah. again where it's like this actually makes no sense, but it's opposition to the people of God and to the ways of God in the world. Yeah. It's all part of a bigger narrative happening. Absolutely. I mean, even in recent history, we yeah. think about like World War II, the whole oh, Holocaust. Yeah. It's like, bro, I don't like your nose. And then they are like wiping out all the Jews. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. But yeah, it really is crazy. This is a picture of exactly that. He was mad at Mordecai because he wouldn't kneel down before him. And he's like, mm, I think I'm going to kill everybody that's just like you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, okay. we literally, like, we have Philistine kings, we have Ammonite kings, like, constantly throughout these stories of the Old Testament. It's like, this happens over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So then Haman goes away from this interaction and he goes to the king and spins kind of like this tale about how the Jews are seeking to subvert him and about, like, their strange customs. He's like, dude, these guys are weird. Like, mm-hmm. they don't do what we do. They're, like, really strange. And it's like... I've always just thought, wouldn't they know that already at this point? Like, these people have been living in exile in Persia for so long at this point. They know about their strange customs. So why is this, like, news to the king? The king also is, like, does not have a brain in his head. He's, like, not rubbing two quarters together in his mind. Yeah. And so it's, like, you'll see that also as a theme in this book of, like, are you serious? Yeah. But whatever. So he goes to the king. He says, these people are dangerous and weird. um, And I think we should just like kill them all. And the king is like, yeah, obviously, if they're strange, like you're saying they are. Yeah. We should just kill them. And so uh, Haman like casts lots to decide like which day they should all be killed on and then also have like their wealth plundered. So basically this edict goes out from the king saying on this specific day, Go you go crazy. 
like kill the Jews, yeah. take their wealth, like everything, and it's allowed on this day, whatever. Yep. And so he sends out this edict. And verse 15 of chapter 3 says, And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city was in confusion. Mm -hmm. So this obviously came as a shock to the people of Susa, which is like the capital of Persia, where this is all taking place. And it caused a bunch of just like, people are like, what in the world? Because like I was saying, these people have been living side by side for years and years and years now. Mm -hmm. Like, it is just kind of coming out of left field that now all of a sudden there's a target on the Jews' back of, uh, you're going to die on this day, which just, like, wild. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't want to, like, beat a dead horse here, but we see over and over again, like, the even, the people of Israel, like, the, the Jews themselves, they're a collection of tribes. They're, like, for, you know, 40 years, they were nomadic, mm-hmm. and they settle into this beautiful, bountiful land as, like, this loose confederation of tribes, mostly shepherds and farmers, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's not a whole lot of like reason for these people to be powerful or have any type of like right clout in the ancient world. And yet again and again, God protects them. And then, you know, we talked about with Samson, they kind of continually keep messing that up and denying his protection and all these things. But their story is just so against all odds, like over and over again. And then they have kings and they have this bountiful, wealthy kingdom. And then you see just like all of these powerful kingdoms coming against them with all of these resources, all of this wealth, all of this land. And you would think that like the kingdom of Babylon would be able to like smother the Jews, that the kingdom of Babylon and all of its splendor and wealth, which is like what the whole first chapter is talking about. Like yeah. Look at the splendor and wealth and resources of these people. Yeah. That they would be able to make a decree, make an edict. And this is an easy thing for them to do. Yeah. Like this is not difficult for them to wipe out this entire people. Right. Like very easy. And yet against all odds throughout all of history, God has protected a remnant of his mm-hmm. people because he has a greater purpose to bring about salvation for the world. Yeah. Um, these are the things that like, are important to notice and think about when you're reading scripture that it's it's so much bigger than just this story of these people yeah. being spared and saved through one person. It's continually throughout God's word and throughout history, him showing like, I am faithful to my covenant. I will protect this yeah. one and my people. I will bring about salvation um, through them. Like even when they are faithless to me, I am a faithful God who loves my yeah. people and loves the world and even made a way then for these people that <laughs> hated his people and have been in opposition to them, made a way for them to be one with him again like it's it's just incredible yeah it's definitely incredible and also while you're talking about that it was making me think like this was after the first wave of exiles had come back to jerusalem Mm -hmm. so these are just the people that have decided to hang back in persia right like god could have so easily yes just shifted and been like okay here are my chosen people back in jerusalem and here's the ones that were willing to leave right forget all these people still living in exile and he doesn't because he's keeping his covenant to his people yeah regardless of where they've been scattered to or where they're deciding to be like god is faithful to them and he's going to bring them back to his heart yeah and that has a direct correlation to what we see in our own lives Mm -hmm. of no matter where we have put ourselves Mm -hmm. or where we've been scattered God will always be trying to draw us to his heart right because that's what he's created us for he's created us for communion with him and so the gospel is 
everywhere in the Bible. Yes. Like it's not just in the New Testament. No. The gospel is what saturates this entire thing. It's this yes. narrative of God doing this good work, bringing about this good news for yeah. all mankind from the beginning. It's it's so purposeful. Yeah. I just like studying the Bible never gets old. No. And even in this story, we see like there's the Jews all living in exile. Then their lives are threatened. They're destined for the grave. Mm-hmm. And then Esther has to risk her life to like rescue them. It's, yeah, laying her life down with every, yeah. we'll get there. Yes. Yeah. Let's get there. <laughs> okay. So now we're in chapter four and basically this is kind of just showing you how the Jews are responding to this edict that just went out, like this kill order. Basically they reply to it with much mourning and uh, basically start fasting and all yeah, of this. Cause stuff. they fasted, wept and wailed. Yeah. So it's, I mean, a, you're going to just be murdered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't even wrap my brain around that. But uh, Esther, so Esther is a Jew, but nobody knows she's a Jew. So that's another piece of this story I realized I didn't even mention. Yep. But she, like... The king does not know her nationality. The king has no idea. So he just put a kill order on his bride, whom he loves so much because she's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he has no idea. And so Esther is absolutely devastated but her nationality is still a secret. And but Mordecai is kind of communicating with her through one of one of the eunuchs. So he basically sends this message to her that says that she should approach the king. Mm-hmm. And she replies back saying, This is like really dangerous. You don't go to the king unless you have been summoned. And if you have not been summoned, you die. Yeah. Like that is unless he extends his scepter out. And there's like a whole thing. So there's the potential for him to accept her coming into his presence, yeah. but there's a way greater chance of him uh sending her to die. Well and we've seen that he's volatile. Yeah. He doesn't he's she's only in her position because he doesn't accept disobedience from his wives right well i was about to say we see him literally cast out a wife because she won't appear at a party yeah but this new wife showing up to plead on behalf of and to tell him you've made a bad decision change your mind right you've made a bad decision and also Haman, who's one of his most trusted advisors his right hand man just said that these people are foes to the king and then to have your wife come and say oh actually i'm one of them and like maybe don't kill them like (laughs) that's a big deal big ask yeah big big so she um she kind of tells mordecai like you know that's a bad idea and I could I could be killed. And he then tells her that basically she's going to die anyways because of this edict that's gone out for them, the king. So he's kind of like... Can we read these verses? Yeah. I just think they're so good. Yeah, absolutely. This is chapter four, verses 13 through... I'm going to read through 17 here if you don't mind. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Like he's saying, God's going to do what God's going to do. Yahweh is Yahweh. He will protect his people. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Yeah, this, okay. So this portion of scripture, there's just like a lot that we can extrapolate about God and his will from Mm -hmm. this portion here. Um, And I don't want to bleed it dry for something it's not, but I think that this is a lot of things, so Mm -hmm. I want to dwell on it for a minute. 
this passage of scripture gets like beat into oblivion. For such a time as this. Yeah, you were created for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just read the scripture. (laughs) Just read it. Because it's so much more powerful in its context. Yeah. So while this verse can be twisted and used as a push for people to be brave and take chances... Um, I think it Post illustrates that controversial meme on Facebook, girl. Yeah, you like, were made. You were made this. for this, <laughs> girl. You were made. Well, I was gonna. And let's keep going. Ads. Moving on. Add some people, but Moving we're not on. going to. I think it illustrates something far more beautiful, which is God has an ultimate plan that will prevail. Yes, and He wants us to be a part of it. He's He's inviting us in yes. to His plan. Yes. So not only that, but there will be natural consequences if we do not seek out to further his kingdom with him. Yeah. In this instance, Esther and her kin would have died yeah. if she had not participated in God's plan. Yeah. So Mordecai is saying, okay, you have this opportunity yeah. to partner with the Lord and live or, okay, God will bring, you know, he'll bring about his yeah. will some other way. He has other avenues, basically kind of like fact check, you're not special, mm-hmm. but maybe you were put in your place of royalty for this time yeah and also you do have a special position and let's acknowledge that maybe you have been put there by the lord like yeah that that's not something to just be enjoyed or be proud of or anything like that that it's it's a gift from the lord to the time that you're in and to your people and all these things yeah but uh the cost of her inaction would be the death of her and her house so that is like and Everyone else in Susa. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, like her house, her, yeah, yeah, yeah. like her people. Oh, I know. I was just like, I was emphasizing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Underlining what you said. Yeah. And so it's kind of like there are consequences when we do not cooperate with the will of God. Yeah. And we've been given an opportunity to be part of a grander plan. Yeah. And we can reject that, but there are consequences. But maybe we were replaced where we're at because God has a plan for our lives mm-hmm. to further his will. Yeah. And so I think that this this portion of scripture was such a comfort to me when trying to decide what to do out of high school because I was feeling the weight of like what am I called to do? What am I what is my calling? I need to figure out like exactly what God's will for my life is. Mm-hmm. And God's will for our lives is obedience. Mm-hmm. And that can be done no matter where you're at. And I I was reading one commentary and they were talking about the will of God being like a ship on course. And we're all on the ship and we can do a lot of things on that ship, but we cannot adjust the course of the ship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so um, like God's greater will is going to prevail and is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And we just have the opportunity to be a part of it or to not be a part of it. And Mm -hmm. there are consequences to choosing not to be a part of it. But like I was saying, this is a great comfort that God's will for our lives is wider than we think it is. Um, And he provides clear opportunities for us to, for us to contribute to his will. Like this is a obvious, like, Hey, you have this position of authority. You've been placed in a royal seat that never should have even been open. Yeah. And now your people are being persecuted. Right. Like that's that's a pretty, pretty freaking open yeah. door, you know. And so we see the same thing in our lives, I think. Yeah. Our pastor was saying this this weekend, which I've heard a bunch of other ways in different times, but a good reminder that 90% of like 
the will of God mm-hmm. in our lives is the same for you and me yeah. and everyone. Like 90 plus percent of what God has called us to do is the same obediences. And that other 10%, the other variability is dependent on your circumstances, like the time and place you were born, like the family you have, like where you live yeah. literally. And so much we, we as like individualistic Western Americans, um, who I assume are most of the people listening to this as well, but we have such an importance that we place on ourselves and our individual purpose and um, the things that like we are made to do specifically, which like, yes, you are an individual that God loves as an individual and he has given you specific gifts and callings, but also so much of his will for you is general. And I use like quotations there in the sense that it is able to be applied wherever you are at any point in your life, highs, lows, everything in between. And so so much of like the course of our lives is dependent on our little obediences over time and the way that we choose to follow the will of God that is general expressed through his word by the leading of his Holy Spirit, right? That that is really what determines the course of like Esther's life here is not determined by like, oh, because you are a queen, like that's Mm -hmm. why, like she's, because she's obedient, because she is a child of the Jews, like, because she is all of these things. She happens to be in this position, which we obviously can see the hand of God in, yeah. which if we look in our own lives, we can see the hand of God in yeah. our own lives, putting us exactly where we are. You know, even the friends you have, the the relationships that you have, the job that you have, the school that you're in, the family that you were born into, all of these things are a divine appointment from the Lord and an yeah. opportunity for you to be faithful in the same radical way that Esther has been faithful, saying, I lay my life down before you, Lord, to be obedient, whatever you ask of yeah. me, whatever you call me to do that is uncomfortable, whatever little disciplines and obediences you are asking me to have faith and do, right? Yeah. Um. This is not like you are individual and God will call you to do specific things. And yes, yes, all of that. And also most of that comes about through the general obediences that are yeah. necessary of all of us. Absolutely. And then this chapter ends with that very like valiant and heroic, if I perish, I perish line from Esther. And um, that's huge. I don't want to like diminish how big that is to Mm -hmm. uh, look death literally in the face because that's what she's doing. Like I don't want to beat to death this already dead horse, but she is looking death right in the eyes and she's saying, if I perish, I perish. Mm -hmm. And so through the, also this is a side note, this is why you choose your counsel carefully because yeah. Mordecai is here spitting facts at her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. if he hadn't, she would have never spoken up. And we can see that from in the beginning yeah, where she's, she's like, mm, no. Yeah. But now here she is. Put truth tellers in your life. <laughs> yes. But here she is in the face of danger, uh, but in the face of potentially freeing her people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, if I perish, I perish. And this is should affirm for us nothing is too precious to give up for the lord not even life itself yeah um we're called over and over to lay down our lives um and our wills and everything and so this is just an extra (laughs) extraordinary version of that Mm -hmm. now we get to the action yes so chapter five uh esther goes into the courts of the king and miraculously finds favor with him so Mm -hmm. she walks in and he extends his scepter and She's in the clear, (laughs) but you would think, okay, perfect. She's going to be like, hey, by the way, I'm Jewish. You just put 
a target on my back as well as for my people. And the king, but the king asks her like, hey, what's up? And she's like, hey, come to a banquet. So she's she's playing the long game with this one, which we see to be necessary. So she invites him and Haman to a banquet. So she throws this banquet. It's really nice. The king is like, anything you want up to half the kingdom, you can have it. I love you, baby girl. Yeah. <laughs> baby girl, you want some <laughs> new Jordans? <laughs> like <laughs> My number one. Yeah. No, but he's like, up to half the kingdom, you can have it. Like, whatever you want. Crazy. And she's like, really? I just want to see you again. So, like, come to another banquet. <laughs> like, homegirl's playing. Playing up her feminine wild. Playing it up here. Um, but Haman leaves this banquet in good spirits. They've just had a good time. He got to party with the king and queen. Mm-hmm. And Haman's feeling really good. He's feeling, he's on cloud nine. And then he sees freaking Mordecai. The man he hates the most for no apparent reason. And he's like, I hate that guy so much. I'm going to go build some gallows, especially fitted for Mordecai. (laughs) Not actually, but he goes and builds these gallows literally to kill Mordecai. Can I add just like one interesting little thing that my commentary says here? It, It like translates gallows here. Like, it gives context that it's literally, like, a 75-foot pole, like, yeah. a sharpened pole yes. for Mordecai to just be impaled on. Okay, so I and was like going to bring this up. Yeah. No, like, it's awful. Like the most cruel man. Yes. <laughs> anyway. I, I'm going to use the term, like, gallows and hanging because that's what the imagery that my translation uses. Right, right. A lot of translations, but, like, do that. But the I've, but it's a spike. It's crazy. I've seen other things where I'm like, dang, this guy. Yeah, it was sh- cool. Sheesh. Yeah, he's he's pissed. Yeah. So basically, he's just like, I cannot believe I had to see Mordecai after having such a good night. I am going to go build it's a giant comical. spike for oh you gosh. to die on. <laughs> Moving on. And so, so gross. Yeah, so gross. Again, painting this picture that Haman is just gosh Wicked. awful. Yeah. Um, okay, but now we're in chapter six. Also, can I just read the first? I love this. Yes. The king is so funny. <laughs> that night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. Yeah. He's having trouble sleeping. Like, He's like, can you read story? me stories about how great I am? <laughs> yeah, literally. So they, his... Little guy comes and brings in this book and he's like, like yes, master. petting his head and yeah. like reading him. <laughs> You're having trouble getting to sleep tonight. I'll read you the history books. Um, but basically is like, okay, here are here's the history of how absolutely astonishing you are. And I don't know why they're British, but they are in, in my rendition. <laughs> Very of close. This. Persian, ancient yeah. Babylonian culture. You know, yeah. it just fits. But mm-hmm. so they're reading. And basically they get to the part of the story where Mordecai had saved the king from this assassination plot. You know what? That guy's kind of great. Yeah. The king is like, stop. Stop your reading. (laughs) What? (laughs) Go back. Read that part again. What did you say? (laughs) And the guy's like, Mordecai saved your life from the assassins. He's like, oh, did we honor him? Did we give him anything? And they're like, no. Um, So he's like. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I never honored Mordecai for saving me from those assassins at the beginning of the story. At this exact time, Haman enters the king's outer court to request that they hang Mordecai or impale Mordecai. Yeah, either way. Um, Yeah, whatever. And the king is kind of asking the guy who has been reading the history, "Is is there anybody in the courts right now that I can you know, bounce some ideas off of. And the guy's like, yeah, actually, Haman just walked in. And he's like, perfect. 
give me him. And so then Haman. This is crazy. And then so Haman comes in. He's if like, you yes. ever think the Bible is not exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. And so Haman comes in. He's like, yes, um, I have a request to make. And the king's like, but first, I need to honor a man who's just been so good to me. And, and Haman's like, oh, he's about to do something Haman's for me. Like, this is this is my this is actually really interesting because I yeah, it literally am the perfect says, man. <laughs> it literally says that he thinks to himself, who would the king wish to honor more than me? Yeah. Who? <laughs> probably me. And so he's like listing off all of these things. He's like, you should probably put him in the finest robes and then put like him on the Like he's been thinking about this. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't know, off the top of the dome, maybe some maybe some okay, robes. Bring out your own robes and a horse <laughs> that you've ridden um, with a royal emblem on its head and let it be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man who, like he like has yes. his whole plan. Okay. And the king is like, Oh my gosh, what a good you're idea. brilliant. Yeah. Go grab Mordecai. <laughs> Go grab Mordecai and do everything you've just spoken And of. I picture it like the people building the spike are like, <laughs> like wait, <laughs> building the spike. They're like up there like sharpening the spike. They're like, hold, what did you just say? Hold the phone, bro. We're building this for Mordecai. So Haman has to like adorn Mordecai in these like robes and like puts him up on the steed and then... Yeah, Haman has to do it himself. Yes. Yeah, literally Haman has to be the one to honor. Which, on a serious note, what... A picture into how God exalts the, the lowly, lowly. And, and this is another the proud. This is another theme of scripture. Like this just happens over and over again. God uses the least likely. He exalts the lowly. Yeah. He brings low the wicked and the proud and the powerful. Yes. And like it just over and over and over again. His own son right. is born in a manger. Like all of these things. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool. Well, and we see the schemes of the enemy literally turned on them and this is a small picture into what will happen and i'm not gonna give it away because i know well this is and this is so similar to the story of jesus like there's so much here pointing towards that anyway but so they parade mordecai through the street on on the steed and uh, haman has to shout to everybody thus it shall be done to the man the king desires to honor (laughs) so he's basically (laughs) like yeah so like the king's honoring Mordecai but he has to like shout it to everybody so this is like public humiliation for Haman and a public exaltation of Mordecai Mm -hmm. so that's chapter six um now we open on chapter seven and this is where things get crazy yeah and Haman's beginning to like backtrack on all his plans because he's like uh the king clearly has exalted this man if my like plans are made known yeah then i'm gonna be in big trouble yeah he's like ooh, big oopsies i'm really glad i didn't say anything yeah so he's like kind of backpedaling but also like unraveling becoming a little bit unhinged in his mind so chapter seven we open and the king and haman go to esther's second banquet and again the king is like oh my gosh this is so great anything you want up to half the kingdom what do you want girl number one what is it and she's like um i i was about to do a whole voice but then i realized i'm actually going to read you what it says in the scripture so i should probably not Not making light of it (laughs) but um in verse three of chapter seven esther says if it pleases the king let my life be given as my petition and my people as my request we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Mm-hmm. So she just dropped a bomb on Mr. Yeah. Xerxes here. Yeah. My people, there's a plot to kill all my people. Yes. And he's like, what do you mean? The king's like, what? <laughs> Who would do this? Who? What foul person would do such yeah. a thing to your people? And she's like, you? 
yeah. and Haman. Um, and so Esther literally points out Haman and Haman and is like literally this this guy here. Yeah, Haman. Um, the king is filled with rage and like leaves. He's a mer- mercurial fellow. Yeah. <laughs> he's like furious. He storms out of this party because he's just so mad at Haman. You well, tricked me. Yeah, you tricked me <laughs> into writing something of my own free will. And so, but in the meantime, when the king had left, Haman like comes and kind of like throws himself at Esther and is like on the same like couch as her. So he's getting a little friendly not friendly. He's like begging for his life. He's like literally yeah. like save me like that kind of thing. Like physically laying hands. Yes. Yeah. And he's kind of all up on her and the king comes in and sees that and he's like on top now of my woman. Yeah. You assault my woman. And so he is like let's we got to get you out of here and kill yeah. you. Yeah. So the king comes back in, assumes Haman is assaulting her. He sends him out and one of the eunuchs suggests that he <laughs> He, We've been building this. He's all well. It's not funny, but it is. I assume we need to put the pole to a different <laughs> use because I just saw Mordecai being honored in the street. So what if we like drop Haman on it? We got this giant pole. We should use it. We got a spike out in this field. Um, so Haman is literally put it's to just death. So ridiculous. Yes. In the best way. Yes. Haman is literally put to death by the exact means he set out to put Mordecai to death. To destroy the Jews. And it is, like, this is the picture. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, this, uh, whatever. Yeah. I feel like I can't even, like, say. There's nothing more to be said. I, it, like, we've said This is the it. picture. You yeah. know what I mean? This is what God does for his people. Mm-hmm. He's He exacts justice. That's another thing. Is like, this is a story full of justice. Right. And when I think of, like, you know, the verse saying the vengeance is mine. Yeah. I will repay. Right. That like God is just and he is kind and he yeah. is good and all of those things, but God is just yes. like, and God will punish wickedness and yeah. those who practice wickedness unrepentantly. Like he, when we think of like the evils in the world that we are just sick and cannot stomach, like yeah. we can be satisfied that God will bring about justice towards yeah. that evil and towards the kingdom of darkness that perpetuates that evil. Like he will be swift and thorough in his justice. And like that, that thing in us that like is kind of wicked. That's like, Oh, I want to like, I am the hand of justice in this world. We can know that that will be satisfied perfectly in a perfect King that is powerful and all, all will be brought in under his dominion and under his reign. So yeah, absolutely. I went through this whole story with like the ninth and 10th grade class I teach on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and I had been doing this dramatic retelling of the story mm-hmm. of Esther. And we get to this point. And when I tell you the kids are usually like absolutely disengaged from anything I'm saying. This is like a brutal age group. But yeah, we love 15 year olds. We do. We do. We really do. We, we do. That but is why I'm teaching it's a tough time. Graders, it's but a tough time. Yeah. Usually I'm like talking and I'm literally watching all of my words like go anywhere but their brains. So, but I'm like teaching, teaching this one kid. He'd been sitting there so quiet the whole time. And then I get to the part where they just impaled 
Heyman. And he goes, <gasps> like an audible gasp. And I was like, yes. <laughs> See? I have, like, <laughs> I have accurately told the story, Master. Yeah. And it was like, I was on cloud nine after that. I was like, I got a gasp out of a 14-year-old boy for... No small my, feet. No, it's honestly. not. And it's just it the, is not. the power of the word of God. Yes, but literally, like, it is. That's whatever. But... So, especially when you see this as, as big picture as it's meant to be, like, yeah, this is not some little thing, some one-off story. This is the God we serve. Like this is what he does. Anyway, we should move on. So, uh, then we get into chapter eight, nine and 10. I'm going to like summarize this kind Mm -hmm. of quickly. It's not unimportant, but just for time's sake. Yeah. Uh, chapter eight, basically King Xerxes gives all of Haman's possession and wealth and power to Mordecai mm-hmm. or to Queen Esther. And then basically Mordecai ends up taking it over. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she appoints Mordecai. Yeah. And so he, but they find themselves in an interesting predicament here because he has signed this edict into effect that all of the Jews are to be annihilated on this day. And he's like, well, so I have some bad news. I can't exactly just reverse that. Yeah. And so they're like, okay. And so he releases kind of this counter edict, which uh, basically states that the the Jews can use any force necessary to defend themselves and to attack their enemies. And this is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. because... When you think about it, wouldn't they already be doing that if people were, like, coming at them to kill them, like, using any force necessary? But yeah. whatever. So he basically says, I'm so sorry for this, but this is going out. Defend yourselves. Kill your enemies. Yeah. Like that. And kind also of kind of, like, what's happening here, too, is he's he's sort of, like, neutering his own, yes. like, armies to, like, enforce the first edict. He's kind of saying, yeah. like— you you actually don't really have the power of like my might behind yes. either side of this anymore. It's like it can happen, but I'm hands off now. Like he's sort of removing his responsibility from the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So and if you think about it, it's kind of also showing that he's retracting like the reasons behind the first exactly. one. Exactly. So it's kind of like, oh, I just said all of these things about the Jews being so dangerous yeah. and so counter me and like everything. Yeah. And so the people are like, huh? They're like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like not really understanding. So whatever. So basically he really, he puts out this edict. They can fight uh, and they do fight. They win. And Mordecai basically annihilates all of Haman's like sons, I believe on the same spike that uh, Haman died on, if I'm not mistaken. I wish I had written it down, but... It's in chapter um, nine. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of uh, going over chapter nine. But then uh, the Feast of Purim is kind of instituted in this time. Not kind of, it is instituted in this time. So uh, that's something that we see uh, Jews practice even today. It's a feast and they like dress up like it's Halloween. It's like kind of, it's really interesting. There's a lot there. I don't really understand the whole dressing up part, but it's a big celebration and they read they read through the book of Esther too. Yes. And like anytime Haman's name is read, they're all like, ah! yeah. they like make all these noises and it's it's just like a celebration. Yeah. And I it was interesting. I was doing a little bit of research. I've been on a Judaism kick lately <laughs> and I've been reading about a lot of like Orthodox Judaism, like what it looks like today. Mm-hmm. And the girl's video I was watching, she was like, This is a time where we all basically like get hammered and she was like a modern you know whatever so I don't know that she was practicing necessarily as 
closely as she should the the religious implications of Judaism. But she was like, we basically all just get absolutely hammered to the point where we don't even remember whether it's Haman or Mordecai, which is the bad guy. And so she's talking about, like, they're reading this story all crazy. They're all getting super drunk. They're all talking about whatever. So this is something that's still observed today, and it's called Purim or Purim. It's Mm -hmm. whatever. I'm whitewashing it. But um, because... Pur, the P-U-R part of it, it means like to cast lots. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing that Haman did to kind of decide the day on which the Jews would die, they're kind of like, LOL, we're going to make a feast out of it. Uh And so that's why it's called Purim. Um, And so this is something, like I said, they still celebrate today. Mm -hmm. Um, Making sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah. But like like we said, go and read it for yourself because even in these last three chapters that I absolutely so zipped details. through, yeah. there are so many details, but it all points back to the common thing we've been talking about since the beginning, which is God is going to establish the steps of his people to accomplish his will. Mm-hmm. And so from the beginning, we see Esther rapidly gaining favor with everybody around her for seemingly no reason. Mm -hmm. We see Mordecai stumbling upon an an assassination plot for literally no reason. Mm -hmm. And then the king can't sleep. He has the chronicles read to him. For what reason? Oh, to be reminded. And then he's honored. And then Haman's building a spike. And then Haman's dying on the spike. And like all of these things that just don't make sense. And this, this is just a detail in chapter nine yeah to like emphasize this point right this whole thing was meant to annihilate annihilate the jews Mm -hmm. who had no means to defend themselves and instead it says throughout all the king's provinces the jews bind together they defend themselves and not only are they victorious they kill seventy-five thousand of those who hated them so like they literally bring about the justice of god on the wicked like there's so many things about the story that are just like well, the plans of the wicked flipped on their head. Yes, and I think about what we were talking about with the story of Samson. Like each of these times that the Holy Spirit comes upon him yeah. and all this stuff, and he is supposed to be—it's the Babylonians, right? And that, or um, no, it's the Philistines. No, it's the Philistines, yeah. So um, he takes out like these large numbers of the Philistines. You're slowly weakening your enemy, mm-hmm. even though he didn't accomplish all that the mm-hmm. the Lord would have had for him. Here we see in Esther the same thing happening: is they're slowly weakening this uh their captors even though they're not necessarily mm-hmm. in actual captivity anymore but these foes to god's plan and will and word you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so um yeah we're not only seeing the the salvation of the jews we're seeing the the lowliness of the enemy and yeah. again it's that concept of god exalting the lowly and making low the proud. And yeah. it's just, it happens over and over and over again. Yep. Um, but that is the story of Esther in a very... Um, <laughs> in a comedic retelling. In a comedic retelling. I hope you guys are enjoying these retellings because we have so much fun so doing So much it. fun. And I'm just We're actually like, restraining ourselves. There's, there's oh a lot gosh. more we... I can see it in our eyes as we're doing this that we want to. I, I know we both like we're like, like, okay, we're like okay. twitching. Like, all right, let's stop. Let's stop. Slow it down. Slow it down. Um, but just know that we have the best time doing these. Um, if you are enjoying um, these like recaps of these stories, these in-depth uh, studies, let us know uh, because we love doing them. We want to know that you love 
uh, listening to them. And we cannot wait to talk to you guys again. We can't. And we have some interviews coming up. So yes. we will have some changes of pace happening and more of our roundtable discussions. And we're so excited. We really can't wait for you to meet some of the ladies we're going to have on yes. here. So we love you guys. If you want to reach out to us, if you want to connect with us, as always, we have our email, thekatiespodcast at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you and any input you have and any way we can pray for you or anything you got going on. We would love to connect with you. And then we also have our Instagram, the Katie's podcast, and we just love to have any kind of feedback and interaction we can with you guys. So mm-hmm. be on the lookout. Katie J does a beautiful job with the feed. Just go Thanks. look at it. Go celebrate her. Go admire it. Go admire it. And Golden Breeze Photography, her yes. beautiful <laughs> contributions to our our aesthetic so our lives our lives so yeah that's that's all we got for you today and we will talk to you soon bye